welcome to the Madden America podcast, your source for science, psychiatry, and social justice. Hello, I'm Zenobia Morrill, a news reporter at Madden America, and I'm pleased to have with me Dr. Vance Trudeau, professor at the University of Ottawa in Canada, who is here to tell us more about a recent study he conducted alongside a team of researchers led by Dr. Marilyn Barrett-Chang that has implications on the long-term impact of antidepressant drug exposure. The study we'll be discussing is titled Transgenerational Hypocortisolism and Behavioral Disruption Are Induced by the Antidepressant Fluoxetine in Male Zebrafish. Dr. Trudeau is the research chair in neuroendocrinology at the university, where he studies the ways in which the brain regulates hormonal activity in fish and frogs. Such analyses offer important implications and insights into environmental and human health because these hormonal systems are shared across species. Welcome, Dr. Trudeau. Thanks for joining us. Yeah, it's nice to be here. We really appreciate having you here to tell us more about this interesting study. Could you start by giving us a brief overview of the study, what you did, and what you found? Uh, yes, uh, we've been interested in, in how pollutants get into the environment, especially the pollutants that we generate uh, through our, our use of pharmaceuticals. So when you take any pill, aspirin or Prozac or what have you, uh, it goes into the sewage treatment plant, it degrades a little bit, and then, uh, but not all, and then it's released to the environment, to lakes or streams or, or rivers. So we started looking at fluoxetine, the active ingredient of uh, the drug Prozac, mm -hmm. quite a few years ago. So our angle was much more on uh, the impacts on the environment. But then, of course, you realize that uh, these are bioactive substances that we're taking, uh, well, quite a lot. Uh, depending on the statistics, it can be uh, quite high uh, in the population, a human population. So we started from there, and then we had questions about, uh, you know, how long would an effect last? And that's where we started getting into this uh, first generation, second generation, third generational uh, studies. So that's kind of like where we came from to, to begin the study. Right. And so you ended up looking specifically at fluoxetine and zebrafish for this study. Yeah, so, so fluoxetine uh, has gone generic, so uh, it's in, in quite a few different antidepressant medications now, and it's, it's uh, considered an environmental pollutant, along with mm -hmm. quite a few other uh, of these types of, uh, of chemicals. And uh, we chose the zebrafish because it's a very powerful biomedical and environmental model, and the, the study system was, of course, the, the stress hormone system, which is identical fish and frogs and cats and dogs and humans. So the, the hormone cortisol is, is the same in fish as it is in humans. And, and the brain control and the pituitary control of, of that hormone production in the adrenal gland is very similar between all of these dis different animal groups. And you can do transgenerational studies in a, in a small fish in a, in a few years. It would take a few lifetimes if you wanted to do it in humans. So we can get an answer, at least hints at what might be happening across generations relatively quickly. And so what did you observe and how did you go about exposing uh, the zebrafish to fluoxetine? Well, we started with a, an early exposure, three hours after fertilization, and, and that lasted for, for six days. So in the, in the, in the zebrafish embryo, this is very early. This is when you're getting formation of organs 
and formation of the brain and the actual brain circuits that would be affected by something like fluoxetine. And also uh, within a day or so as well, the, the stress hormone system is also being formed. So we're, we, we targeted this six, first six days of life because those two systems are forming and, and uh, fluoxetine affects a brain system called the serotonin system. And it affects uh, the, the, the uptake and the amount of serotonin that might be in the brain. So that's why we, we started very early. And then we let them grow, uh, grow into, uh, into adults, so six months later, in fresh water. So they were only exposed for six days. Mm-hmm. Then we found um, that their stress hormone levels uh, in sort of normal daily life and under different stresses were much reduced. And this was a first big surprise. And, and so we, we looked, at, looked at that and tried to figure out what was going on. And we, at six months, they're adults, so we can breed them. So we, we, we said, what, what about the next generation? And their reproduction was normal, but the next generation had the same effects. Reduced cortisol in daily life and under stressful conditions. And then we did it again in the, in the third generation. And we saw... saw Virtually the same thing. Uh, so this this was obviously uh, quite surprising to us that it would last three generations. Uh, that's a long time in, in human terms. Mm-hmm. It means your great-grandparents are affecting your stress, ability to deal with stress now. So you don't even know your great-grandparents, <laughs> probably. Yeah, I think that's part of what readers are wondering is how much can we take a six-day fluoxetine exposure um, in zebrafish and understand how that might affect humans? Well, there's a, there's a couple of things. If I could just say a little bit more about some of the effects. We also observed that the, these animals uh, had altered behavior. So we use a, a test that's a kind of a test of exploratory behavior. It's called the novel tank test. So you put an animal in a tank and they swim around and they swim a lot looking for hiding places, what have you. And in animals that were treated six months before with fluoxetine, they don't explore very much. Uh, We have some videos available too that could be very interesting for people to look at. But this is exploratory behavior. And uh, what was remarkable is that lasted for two generations. So also a very long time. And we could link the two observations. And one of the more basic discoveries was that the hormone cortisol actually controls this behavior. So cortisol is, is allowing the animal to explore its environment. And if you lower it by Prozac or by other treatments, they explore less. So the equivalent is uh, in a child, you know, if they go into a room and there's new people and they look around and they, they say hello, uh, that's a normal behavior. If you don't explore the room, it's called a kind of like an internalization of behaviors. And that's, that's an odd thing. And, and that's what Prozac does to kids, too. If the mom is taking uh, Prozac, her children have uh, more internalized behaviors. That is kind of a, a similar thing. So we have the behavior la- change lasting for two generations and the stress hormone changes for three generations. So how does that translate into potential effects in, in other animals, including our own species, including humans. Well, cortisol is cortisol. It's the same hormone, and the same brain hormones control 
the same hormones in the pituitary and the identical steroid hormones in the adrenal gland. So it, it's, it's clearly related to other species. And the, the way we think this inheritance is happening, how it gets transferred from one generation to the next, even when uh, the, the fluoxetine is no longer around for generations, it's a, the idea is, is an epigenetic mechanism. So not a DNA mutation, but something that alters the structure of the DNA. So not the sequence change, something on top of the DNA, so DNA methylation or some other mechanisms. So epigenetics is, is all the rage at the moment, of course, in, in the scientific literature, and we haven't proven that. That's some of our next studies, but it's the, clearly the, the, the next thing we should do. And this mechanism of epigenetic inheritance is conserved. The mechanism is the same in every single vertebrate. So there's no reason to think that uh, humans would be different. I mean, it's, it, we, we study mice and worms and fish and human cells in a dish to get ideas. And it's shown that these epigenetic mechanisms are really the same. Mm -hmm. so, so this raises the question of whether it might happen in other species, for sure, including humans. So that's the next big question for for medical researchers, I think, is, is, is it happening in humans? And I know that you mentioned having cited uh, some studies in the actual article that you published about human studies and what happens when that fluoxetine can pass the placental barrier. Yeah, so, so this is very interesting work. Uh, there's a couple of different labs around the world uh, looking at what happens when you have prepartum so during pregnancy, treatment of antidepressants to help moms in trouble, and also uh, postpartum as well. But prepartum, uh, what Professor Tim Oberlander at the University of British Columbia has found is that there's effects on the children. So he's, he's done a few studies in, in early life, uh, three months, a few years, I forget exactly, but he sees low cortisol levels in these, uh, in these uh, people uh, whose moms took antidepressants. And he also sees an increase in internalization behaviors. So the, the lack of exploration of, of novel environments, for example. So he's seeing what we were able to see over several generations. Mm. And I believe his studies are ongoing. Um, those patients are, I don't know how old they are, but it's a very long-term study to, mm. to try to see what's happening to those now young, young, young adults. Sure, yeah. And I, that's the advantage, right, of looking at zebrafish. Yeah. Well, any, any, any uh, fast-growing, fast-breeding uh, animal would, would be a great model. Mice, zebrafish, other, other models have been used for these types of studies. Uh, we chose fish because we can ask two questions. What... If you control the embryonic environment with human relevant doses, or if you give them a much lower concentration of, of the wuxtine that would be found in the environment, would it affect the fish? And we, we found it did. Uh, low environmental levels that might be in, in a sewage pipe or in, in a contaminated river affected the, the cortisol levels for, for several generations. Mm -hmm. It wasn't so effective at changing the behavior over generations but it definitely affected the cortisol. So a fish living in the wild, they need cortisol for many things. 
They need for aggression. They need for growth. They need it for exploratory behavior. Cortisol is, is super important for survival in changing environments. Uh, I mean, it, it is the adaptive hormone. Mm-hmm. Stress is an adaptive response. That's uh, uh, you know, the work of Hanselier in the, in the 40s and 50s. That's, that's what stress hormones are important for, helping us to cope. The coping behaviors and the coping response in terms of hormones is altered over generations. Mm-hmm. Less ability to cope with the daily challenges. Mm-hmm. Kind of the opposite to what you'd expect for an antidepressant. That's what I was about to say. It sort of sounds like the suppression of the ability to cope or the ability to have exploratory behaviors would almost read as a depressed sort of state for someone. It's opposite to what you might expect. So uh, there we have to explore that a little bit. But we're, we're treating very early in, in life, the first six days of life. Mm-hmm. But that's setting up the, 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 those hormone systems that I was talking about before. And it looks like it's changing their path of, of function and development for, for several generations. I, I think these findings are major and they have a lot of implications that we ought to be considering. I know that, let's see, to quote one of our Mad in America commenters, uh, Sylvain Russelo, they wrote, why is, it, why is it that such an important study is not the front page of scientific journals? Well, uh, I read that too, and, and it yeah. couldn't be on the front page of other scientific journals. It was published in one, Proceedings of the National Academy of Sciences, and, and they made press releases that many, many uh, uh, journals took up. Mm-hmm. Uh, popular articles, uh, uh, radio shows, et cetera, et cetera, and also your, your own show as well. So I've been very happy with the, the, the press coverage. Mm-hmm. And many people are asking uh, detailed and important questions. So, so I, I believe that, that people are becoming aware. And, you know, there's the big media splash in the first weeks. But, you know, people have to think and read uh, about these types of studies and, and really get into it before you start worrying about it, you know. Uh, some of the, the questions you're, you're, you're asking are, are really important. We have to face these facts now that pharmaceuticals can have long impacts. Not only Prozac, there, there's, uh, there's other chemicals that have been shown to have transgenerational effects. Mm-hmm. One is a fungicide. This is the most famous uh, study. And another one is, is bisphenol A, the estrogenic chemical that's found in plastics. And this can, this can alter offspring behavior and reproductive outcomes. So we should be asking ourselves as a society, are we ready to to face up to this challenge, which is some of the things we do last generations? Mm. Is that a good thing or a bad thing? I mean, we have to ask that question. I think it's going to depend on which treatment and which chemical. In the case of of this this example, uh, an inability to cope across generations is not a good thing. Mm-hmm. No matter what you what you say, it's it's clearly not a good thing for the fish. Yeah, and I think there are people who hear this and read these findings and wonder what they should be considering and should they be worried on their antidepressants or should prescribers be thinking about prescribing these differently? Well, this is a this is a really uh, loaded question that sure. many people have. I, I'm not a, a medical doctor. And uh, I've been asked this question a few times, and, and for me, it's very clear. 
If you have concerns, you must discuss it with your physician, your psychiatrist or psychologist, or whoever you're talking with, uh, and do not change treatment uh, until you, you get a professional expert advice. I think it's important to ask questions of your, of your physician about uh, what, what is going on. Ask them to read this article and other articles um, because I, I should imagine many people are not yet aware. Mm-hmm. Uh, so uh, certainly do not change what you're doing. You really must seek professional advice on that. And, and uh, I, I can't emphasize that anymore. You know, it's really important to, to discuss it with people who are, are helping you. Mm-hmm. It seems that there's that important piece of integration where discussing this with your physicians, but also making sure physicians get this information in a study like this that maybe they're not necessarily looking at. Exactly, exactly. Because, I mean, we have to ask her, ourselves now, it, does it have implications for, for our own species? And, and that's what I think the next wave of research, uh, for example, Oberlander's work, will help it answer. Do you know about cortisol in humans? We were talking a bit about a child who maybe wouldn't demonstrate exploratory behaviors or ways to cope, but what might that look like? In well, suppressed cortisol is, it's called, uh, in the human condition, it's called hypocortisolism. Mm-hmm. So most people think of the bad aspects of stress as too much stress and too much cortisol. So that's hypercortisolism, and there's all kinds of studies on that. Uh, it can affect memory, it can immunosuppress you, or you get more susceptible to colds and viral infections and what have you. Um, and that's been studied quite a lot. But in the last decade, uh, about, uh, it's becoming apparent that low cortisol is also uh, not very good. So there's kind of a, 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 an appropriate level of cortisol to have you uh, be able to adapt. So too low Cortisol means you, you won't be able to adapt to the daily challenges as efficiently as if you were, say, with the regular cortisol levels. So the kinds of human uh, conditions that have been associated with uh, low cortisol are PTSD. So the, these, uh, these unfortunate people uh, have trouble dealing with, with challenges uh, in life and PTSD situations. Uh, some disruptive behaviors in, in children, uh, both boys and girls. Uh, are often associated with having low cortisol levels. Uh, so there's, there's certain uh, behavioral problems like that that are also associated with, with low cortisol. So there seems to be a good, um, you know, a good amount of cortisol, if I can say, say, say it like that, and too little or too much seems to get, uh, get us in trouble. So this is relatively new, uh, but hypocortisolism is, is also going to be something to look for in the future. Mm-hmm. As, as researchers dig dig through the data and try to understand what low cortisol means as well. There are a few important examples. When you sought out um, doing your research and looking, sort of examining pollutants in the environment, did you expect that you would get these studies or that you would be here having this discussion about antidepressant medication? Uh, that's a good question. <laughs> I mean, uh, our earlier studies were, were treating adult fish on the short term and looking at reproductive outcomes. And you can alter reproductive hormones on the short term in, in uh, various treatment uh, regimes. So we, we set out thinking that we were going to give an early life exposure and affect reproduction. But we didn't. There's no change in reproduction over three generations. Mm. 
the, the big surprise was an effect on stress. In the past 20 years, I have not worked very much on stress hormones. In fact, I avoided it <laughs> because there's so many other good researchers working on, on stress hormones. But here we are. Uh, this is a major, a major effect, and we're having uh, quite some fun trying to figure out what's going on. So the tissue that produces cortisol is the adrenal gland in, 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 in mammals. And in fish, it's got a slightly different structure, but the cells are virtually the same. They're just embedded within the kidney instead of on top of the kidney, like our own adrenal uh, gland is. And those cells are altered. We did uh, something called RNA sequencing to look at all of the different genes that would be up and down regulated in the animals treated uh, three generations before. And we found that the, the enzyme pathways important for cortisol synthesis were altered in these animals three generations later. So that's, that tells us that the adrenal gland is, is functioning differently in these animals. We also think that the brain will be functioning a little bit differently. So the, the, the next uh, studies, the next wave of studies, we're trying to examine where cortisol is acting in the brain and where fluoxetine is acting in the brain and finding where they transect, which, which cells in the brain are actually affected in these animals. So that's the, the next studies, really trying to, to understand a little bit more on the, on the brain side of things. That you are going to pursue? We're doing it right now, yes. So I guess you couldn't avoid the studying stress then? No, I have to go for it, yeah. I think for most people at first glance, um, it's if you don't and aren't familiar with cortisol and what that means, it can be hard to understand why that feels important. But as you talk about the effects of fluoxetine exposure, it feels like cortisol and low cortisol levels or too high cortisol levels potentially can be implicated in presentations where people receive diagnoses, like you were saying, PTSD or disruptive behavior. And so it, it really is, I see how you've ended up there when you didn't expect to. And yeah. I see how it's something that we ought to be, as you said, rethinking in terms of what that means for our species. Well, cortisol is such an interesting hormone because it, it has many, many functions. Mm. It, it's considered a metabolic hormone because it, it helps you generate energy and, and metabolize things. It's the coping hormone. It's, it's super important for many, many processes. Memory, uh, behavior, all, all kinds of things. So it's a multifunctional hormone. So that's why I became very, very interested because it has implications for many processes in the body, not just coping behaviors. Mm -hmm. So we have to dig a little deeper in there. So um, yeah, cortisol can affect many, many tissues in the body as well, both in a good way, so for metabolism and daily life, and in a bad way in, in super stress situations, for example, suppressed immune system. You know, how many, uh, how many times have you studied like crazy and you're stressed in exams and you feel great, but three days later you get a cold? This is immunosuppression because of stress. So, so there's, there's lots of angles to this, you know? Mm -hmm. Yeah, so it's really far-reaching that cortisol would be implicated and that we see this across two, three generations. And correct me if I'm wrong, but that was without a diminished effect, right? Yes. It was especially evident in, in, in the males. Mm -hmm. We also saw it in the females, but we focused most of the study on the males because it was a, a little bit more obvious. And uh, 
we're now pursuing this sex difference as well. So we're, we're just writing the next, the next paper in the series to look at uh, early exposure and then following males and females um, a little more closely. So there, there is a difference in the, the response. The other thing is, is uh, we just published a paper, I don't know, a week or so ago that, that's showing that um, at least part of this reduced cortisol is, is inherited from the mother. Mm. So mom seems to be putting things in the egg before fertilization to set up her children to be having, well, having lower cortisol levels. So this is something that's very fascinating. Mm. And we have to dig a little deeper. It's kind of just getting going, and, and we don't completely understand our, our own observations yet. Mm-hmm. But it's something to, to look for in the future, how the parents are actually telling the offspring what's going to happen. So mm. the drug treatment is being passed on to the next generation through, in this case, the mother. In other, other situations, it can be through the father. So, so the parents are actually passing on this, this epigenetic information and, and uh, kind of instructing the embryo what, what to expect in a way. Mm-hmm. So it's so fascinating. I mean, it has many, many implications for many types of studies. And there's a lot of uh, great labs working on it. Absolutely. And I'm so fortunate to have you here explaining, talking us through what this means. Are there any other significant uh, aspects of these findings that you'd want to bring up? Um, I think we've covered most of it. There, there are still lots of questions, of course, and, and we've mm-hmm. covered a bit of that in some of the future studies uh, we, will, we will do. Hopefully other, other researchers also get, uh, get some ideas and we can expand and get to, the, get to the answer. Yeah. What are some of the other questions that maybe we haven't gotten to but that are on your mind? Well, what are, what are the implications for other, other bodily functions? Mm-hmm. Uh, so we just looked at the, the, the uh, exploratory behavior as a coping response, but what are some of the other cortisol-dependent things? The immune system. For a fish, cortisol helps uh, the animal deal with the aquatic environment. So it's, it regulates functions in the gill. Uh, in our own species, it helps formation of, of the, uh, the uh, surfactant in the lungs at birth. So it, it's important for respiration as well. So there's, there's many other things that one could look at in terms of what would low cortisol do to the animal. I mean, I suspect that some functions will just be just fine because you can adapt to lower hormone levels over time. And we saw that with the behavior. They eventually adjusted their exploratory behavior, even though cortisol was low. But there may be some functions that are permanently, permanently changed. So we, we could get into, into that as well. Right. I was curious, how did that eventual adaptation look? Well, the, the, if we look at the exploratory behavior in the third generation, it kind of looks normal but they still had low cortisol levels. So it's almost like an adaptation to a lower level. That's all we could conclude. We don't really have a good idea of how it would happen. Uh, but, you know, your body, it's called homeostasis. Your body tries to adjust to changes, right? Uh, short-term and long-term. And eventually, some other parts of the, the hormonal system may, may help to deal with that low cortisol. So we really don't know how. 
but it, they did return sort of to normal with their in their behavior at the third generation. But in the second generation, they were still having very, very low exploratory behavior. So that's like your grandparents affecting your behavior. So it's, it's still a very long time in human terms. Yes, it is. And I think that point of what we do know is that cortisol is implicated in a lot of different mechanisms and functions paired with, and there are a lot of things we still have yet to understand about that, brings up does bring up a lot of questions about, so what does that mean for interrupting that process or changing the structure of genes through fluoxetine? Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, that's, that's where we're going to go in, in the next couple of years for sure. Yeah, any other questions coming up for you? That's about it. That's going to keep me and my, my <laughs> busy, busy and hopefully I can get some help from some other labs. Who is funding this research and are you able to get collaboration from other people? Uh, who is funding? Well, that's a good question. So there was uh, myself and um, Professor Tom Moon, the co-supervisors of, of Dr. Chang, um, and we used our, our research funding, but we did not have a specific grant for this study. Uh, it would be hard to, to convince uh, an agency to fund for three years when you don't know what's going to happen. I think maybe now we, we would have better luck getting funding because we've published the paper, but mm-hmm. uh, this is the, the, uh, the NSERC in Canada that provided the money. Yeah. And in a way, some of these findings are presenting a, a warning for antidepressant medication or a cautionary sort of thing to consider. Have you gotten any reactions that weren't positive to this study? Not, not really. Um, there was uh, a couple of people commenting on, on it's always bad. Antidepressants are always bad. So, mm. saying you know that it, it adjusts and all that. But the, but the, this is one or two people. But most people are are being very analytical. Journalists, public members, uh, other scientists, and asking uh, deep questions about what it means, rather than being hyped up about it. I mean, people are being extremely careful. And uh, I was contacted by a, a patient from another country. Mm-hmm. They were asking about things, and I, I, I could not give them advice, of course, but, but the, the news is getting out there, so I, I recommended to that person that they discuss it in detail with their own physician. So most people are being very, very thoughtful and insightful, actually. That's heartening to hear, because I think there are yeah. a, lot of, a lot of steps that need to be taken next based on what you found. And Thank you for your work, and thank you for being here with us. Well, thanks for a great interview. Very interesting questions to get me. Thinking sure. about other things to do. Sure, glad to hear that. Thank you for listening to the Madden America podcast. Visit maddenamerica.com for more news, views, and updates.